0: Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Last two weeks, we've been going through kind of a short series on the parables uh, of perseverance. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Barry started out the series talking about the 10 virgins. And uh, as he talked about that, that parable, it was a really great challenge. And he did it excellent job of explaining it. Um, remember, he took us back into the Jewish customs of what marriage in the Jewish world looked like, and he, he talked about the correlations between that and the parable. And, and I don't know about you, but that made that parable just come alive to me um, when he preached it like that. And he, uh, he encouraged us to be ready for Jesus' return and to, um, to be prepared with the Holy Spirit. Remember the oil representing the Holy Spirit. Persevere in the Holy Spirit so that when Jesus does come back, we're ready to go. And then last week, He talked about the parable of salt, if you remember that, and he did an awesome job of, these two messages have been great. I don't know if you've loved them, but I've absolutely loved these two messages. Um, Last week he talked about salt, he talked about the fact that the only way salt loses its saltiness is if it doesn't stay as a part of the rock. When the rock is there, then when 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 the salt stays onto the rock or close to the rock, that's where it has saltiness. If it gets away from that, it loses its saltiness. So I don't know if you've enjoyed those, but I've really enjoyed those. Today we're gonna to be taking a look at a parable actually uh, that is not very far away from the parable of the talents or the, the Vir- ten virgins is right after and it's called the parable of the talents. You might have heard this parable before. It's in Matthew chapter twenty-five, I believe. Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 through 30. So if you want to, if you got your Bible this morning or maybe got your phone with your app, go ahead and get that out and just kind of get that ready to go. I'm not going to quite go there yet, but we're going to. So go ahead and get that out and and be ready with that. But before we go there, I want to share with you an experience I had when I was 15 years old. When I was 15 years old, uh, I had a friend and actually it was Pastor Barry's sister, his youngest sister, Karen. Uh, She was friends with us because she would come and he would invite her to do youth group things with us and we were about the same age. And she had invited my friend, my best friend and I, to watch her and her play in the town of Slayton, Minnesota. Slayton, Minnesota is about 45 minutes to about an hour from where I grew up in South Dakota. And uh, so we, uh, my friend and I, my best friend and I, Jesse, we hopped in um, our 1989 hatchback Honda Accord. And uh, we took off, okay? Two dudes road tripping. Uh, We were having a good time. It was about this time of year, and so the sun set pretty early, so it got dark pretty quick at night. And uh, we were rolling along, things were fine. I think we were probably about five to ten miles away from Slayton, from the town that we were going to, when, as happens in this time of the year and in this part of the country, a deer came up out of the ditch and. And we just, I mean, full-on hit it, you know. There wasn't any time to stop. There wasn't any time to break. The only thing that I remember about the whole thing, because it happened so fast, is I remember, like, I remember the deer going this way. And I remember its back leg going this way. And thinking, I didn't know body parts could separate like that, you know. It was pretty awesome. Never did find the deer, never did find the leg, um, but I remember seeing that. You know, that, that car is so low to the ground, it just hit it, and it just went shoom right over the top of the car. It was pretty awesome. So we got out of the car, and, uh, you know, the, the radiator was hit. The front was really smashed up. It wasn't drivable, and we, uh, we pulled over to the side of the road. We got out of the car. This is pre-cell phone days, right? So we got out of there, and we were looking at the car, and we were in utter shock, and we were mortified. Not mortified that we had just um, crushed a car, but mortified because that car didn't belong to me. That car didn't belong to him. It belonged to another one of our friends. And mortified because I never told my parents that we were borrowing that car. I just told them I was going with my friend Jesse, so they assumed that he was driving. And he told his parents that he was going with his friend Jared, and his parents assumed that I was driving. And the, the person, that, the third party that we, that we borrowed our car from, his friend, our friend Nathan, he didn't tell his parents that his car was being borrowed that night. And so it put us in a bit of a predicament, as you can imagine. And uh, long story short, I mean, everything turned out okay. Pastor Barry, actually, I was in his youth group at this time, um, and he happened to be visiting his parents, and so we were able to get a hold of him. We spent the night at his parents' house. We towed the car back to South Dakota, and uh, we had to fess up to our parents, and then we, you know, paid the money and got the car fixed. But I was a steward. There, there's a biblical term for this, a churchy, uh, not, maybe not even biblical, like a churchy term we call steward, being a steward of. I was a steward of that car, okay? It was not my possession. I did not own it. I was given it, to take care of, and I was given it with the understanding that I would bring it back in the same condition, and my friend probably hoped with a little more gas than which he gave it to me in. Obviously, that wasn't the case, right? Um, I was not necessarily a great steward of my friend's car. I was, he gave me stewardship over his car, and I, I crushed it. I mean, I literally crushed it. Okay, I literally crushed his car. The parable that we're gonna be looking at this morning there was an individual who entrusted his wealth to three different stewards. Let's look at the story. It's found in Matthew 25, as I said before. We're going to start with verse 14. And we're kind of just going to work our way through the story this morning and, and kind of stop at different points and talk about it. Matthew 25, chap, I'm sorry, chapter 25, verse 14, says this. For it will be like a man going on a journey. I want to stop right there, okay? What um, is What is it? For it will be like a man going to journey. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, this is a succession of three parables on the end times. The first one is the ten virgins, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. This is the parable of the talents. And then there's one called the sheep and the goats right after this. It's a succession of parables on the end times because Jesus' followers said, Jesus, tell us about the end times in Matthew chapter 24. And so Jesus is answering their question by telling them stories about the end times. And he's using a parable. And if you don't know what a parable is, a parable is a story meant to convey, a spiritual point okay it's not to be taken literally but it's to convey a point so so that it in this in this story that he's talking about for it will be like a man going on a journey he's talking about the the kingdom the coming of the kingdom of God so he's talking about the kingdom of God when it comes to this earth so he says for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property okay let's stop there a couple of characters we need to introduce. Who is the man going on a journey? Well, the man going on a journey is Jesus. Unbeknownst to his disciples at the time, Jesus was actually sharing with them the future and what was going to happen, and they didn't know that he was going to die, be resurrected, and then ascend to heaven, but he was telling them it will be like a man going on a journey. He was the man. It's Jesus. Um, Who are the servants in this parable? Well, they're, they're servants. How many here are servants of Jesus? Okay, that's us. So we are the servants. Jesus is the man going on a journey. Um, and so he entrusted his property to these individuals. And before we go any further in the story, we need to, like, we, we need to get something straight in our minds. Psalm 24 one says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all of its people belong to him. What does that mean? That means that everything that you can see in this room with your eyes, or you can see anywhere that you go in this world, belongs to the lord we're talking peoples we're talking animals we're talking every single thing that you see belongs to the lord is it yours no it's god's the earth belongs to the lord and it's everything in it belongs to him it comes from him and it belongs to him so that makes us stewards of god's stuff right So if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including the people, the animals, everything we see and interact with, then we don't own it. Am I correct? According to the Bible, yes. Who owns it? He does. But he entrusts us to take care of it as stewards. Leaves us his property because he's gone on a long journey. That journey, by the way, that he's gone on is an ascension to heaven, and we're going to catch the rest of the story here in just a second. Humanity was given the job of taking care of God's creation from the very beginning of time. Back, in, If you'll remember, back in the Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve, back in the garden, God gave humanity one singular task. He said, I'm going to give you this planet, I'm going to give you this garden, and you're going to take care of it. You're going to take care of the, the, the vegetation, you're going to take care of the animals. We have been stewards from the get-go. But the problem is... Because we are a society that doesn't necessarily base our foundation on the Word of God and we're what's called a post-Christian world where most people aren't biblically literate anymore and they don't have that foundation and understanding, we've kind of lost that idea. We have this idea that our stuff is our stuff, especially in America. We're pretty much the worst. My stuff is my stuff. I own my stuff. I own my property. It is mine. You have no right to my property. It's mine. I'm sorry, but this is wrong. We do not own our stuff. Our stuff is not our stuff. Our stuff is God's stuff. It was his from the beginning, and we are just stewards of his stuff. I wanted us to get that mindset right because that bogus idea works its way into the church sometimes and then it gets weird. It gets weird sometimes, even like when we talk about money in the church. It gets weird because people are very private about their money, and they're, they're very much in the, in the mindset that it's my money, and, and you're not going to tell me what to do with it, which we never tell people what to do with their money. Um, but we tell them what God tells them to do with their money because it's his money. And even when we do things like tithe, and I talk about this sometimes when we tithe, tithing and giving when we give to the Lord financially, I'm talking about money, that's something that we do, and part of the reason that we do that is so that we understand that perspective of this money is not mine, and we give a first. First 10% is what we give us. It's called the tithe, okay? We give that first because, again, it tells people that, hey, guess what? It's not our money. It's not ours to do what we want with. It's the Lord's. Let's keep going. Matthew 25, 15 through 18. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once, traded with them, and he made five more talents. So he also who had two talents made two talents more. But the one who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Let's stop there for a second. Whoops. Let's stop there for a second. What is a talent? Well, a talent is a measure of money, okay? It's a lot of money. In fact, scholars believe that a talent is actually like a lifetime wage, basically. Like whatever, what a person could typically earn in a lifetime, that's like a talent. It's a lot of money. Um, it's not what this parable is about it's not necessarily about money but that's what a talent is if you're curious and you want to know what it is it's not a talent like a gift or an ability but it's, it was actually a sum of money some, some of the Bibles translate it bags of gold it was like bags of gold so, so the, the, uh, the man who goes away gives these guys a job to do is that correct? he gives them a job to do he, he says here's, here's the stuff Take care of my stuff. He gives him a job to do. I want you to know if you're in this room this morning and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you have a job to do. There's more to life than just getting saved, going to church, going about your life until Jesus comes back. That's, that's, that's not Christianity. That's not a, being a follower of Jesus. You can't just say, I'm, I'm just, okay, I got my salvation. I gave my life to Jesus. I'm gonna do my thing. I'm gonna come to church every single Sunday or I'm gonna come to church whenever. But for the rest of my life, I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna give God this part of my life and I'm just gonna live the rest of it. That's not discipleship. That's not following Jesus. That's not, that, that's not how God intended us to live. He's got a job for us to do. And if you're in this building this morning and you have breath and you've given your life to Jesus, you have a job to do. You have a calling on your life that God has given you, that he's placed in each and every one of you. Regardless of your resources, your finances, regardless of your place in life, regardless of your health, regardless of all the things that limit people, you have a job to do. You have a calling on your life. Maybe you walked into this place and you feel incredibly insignificant. Let me tell you you're not. You know why? Because God trusts you enough to give you a job to do while you're on this earth. How awesome is it that the God that created the heavens and the earth and the universe thought, it was, thought, it, thought you were good enough to be able to have a job? There's a lot of people that won't give me a job, <laughs> right? The God of the universe, though, he's given me a job, and he's given each and every one of you that walked into this place this morning a job. You are not insignificant. God believes in you enough to give you a calling, and each and every one of us has one. This morning, if you, (laughs) what I think is awesome is that, you know, he gave the one person five talents, he gave the other person two, he gave the other person one, and you might look at that, and you might say, well, that's kind of unfair, right? Why would this person get, he gave it to them according to their ability. I think that's pretty cool, because I think that means that God doesn't overwhelm us. God doesn't ask us to do something that we can't do. So if God has asked you to do it, then you can do it. It doesn't matter what state, like I said, you find yourself in, you're called there's really no bench on God's team. one of the things I love when God called Moses, I don't know if you remember the scene, but there's a scene where God calls Moses in this place called the burning bush. And, and Moses keeps giving God excuses as to why he's not the man for the job. And God t- tells him, at one, one point, God tells him, because Moses said, what if, I, what if I go and they don't believe me? And God said, Moses, what do you have in your hand? And Moses had a staff in his hand. And God did miraculous things from through that staff. He had him throw it down on the ground. It became a snake. He grabbed it as a snake and it became a staff again. The point is this. God's asking you this morning as because we all have limitations and when it comes to God's calling, we, try, we're, we're, we tell God, this is why I can't do it. But God's asking you the question because, because we say things like, I don't, I don't have the money to, to do great things for you, Lord. I don't have the ability. I don't have the ability to speak. I don't have the ability to, to do all the things. All I see these other people doing, I'm not Stephen Furtick. I can't just go out and preach a message like that. I can't just speak eloquently. I don't have the, the connections to, to do whatever, what great people of God do. God's asking you, yeah, but what do you have in your hand? What do you have? In your hand, what can you do? Because whatever you can do, and whatever God has given you, He can do miraculous things through those things. Can He? He doesn't need something great. He just needs someone who's willing and says, "Yes, God, I will give you myself. I will give into my calling. And I'll let you do whatever you want to do through me." I started thinking about this as I was writing this message. What if, what if you found yourself and you woke up this this morning and you were, you know, a person who was paralyzed from the neck down? And you couldn't feed yourself and you couldn't dress yourself and you couldn't bathe yourself. You couldn't even go to the bathroom on your own and you couldn't do anything. What's in your hand? You can pray, right? If you can think, if you can breathe, you can pray. So I started thinking, I mean, like the person who is the most incapacitated that person that we can think of in this world can still do something and still has a call in their life as long as they're drawing breath. So as long as you're sucking air this morning, you've got a purpose. If you're at home this morning and you're watching us online this morning and maybe you've been home for a long time and you're starting to feel really discouraged that you can't be used, let me tell you something if you're home this morning. There are things that you can do. Even if you can't go out because of COVID, you can pray. You can make phone calls and encourage someone. You can send a card. You can bake a cake. I don't know. You can bake stuff. There's things that you can do where you're at. Think about those things. Don't let yourself get worried about what you can't do. Think about what can I do? What, what's in my hand that I can use this morning? We all have a calling. Matthew 25, 19 through 28. Let's continue with the parable. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, here, I have five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, I'll make you faithful over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, here, I've made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, I'll set you I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew that you're a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered them, You wicked and slothful, lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers and at my coming I should have received that which was mine with interest. So So take the talent from him and give it to the one has 10 talents. Okay, so what happens here in this little section that we read? So the master comes back, and he asks for an accounting from the servants for the money that he gave them to be in charge of. What does that tell us? That tells us that, number one, Jesus is coming back, and he's going to ask for an account for the things that he gave to us To accomplish his purposes and his task, and we're going to have to answer for the things that either we did or we did not do with the things that he gave us. But the question maybe that you're asking is, okay, I, I know what talents are, they're money, but what do the talents represent in this story, right? What do the talents represent in this story? Well, the talents represent the resources God gives us to do what he's called us to do. And what are those resources? Let me break those down for you a little bit this morning. Our resources come in the way of material things, stuff. Okay, we have cars, we have houses, we have uh, land maybe, we have furniture, we have, you know, all the stuff that you have. You have your cell phone, you have your clothes, you, everything that you have is a resource that God has given you that you can use to reach other people for him or to accomplish your purpose that God's called you to. Abilities are also a resource, okay, skills, talents, That God has given you. And you see people using these things like, you know, especially when you're talking about like professional athletes or celebrities maybe that love Jesus. Reggie White used to be a great one for this. He played for the Packers for years. And he was just, he was actually, he was a pastor uh, back in the day. And he would go out and he would speak, or you know, like a Tim Tebow who who shares his platform and he's used his talent to aid his calling that God has called him to. You have talents, you have skills, you have abilities. Now, maybe you don't have a load of talent, maybe you don't have a load of skills and abilities, but you got something. There's something that you can do that comes naturally to you that's a talent, skill, or an ability. Use that for the Lord. Your financial means, money. We talked about that a little bit, but that's something that can be used for God's kingdom. There's some people that finance the kingdom of God through, there's there's people that have went into business for the express purpose, and this is how it should be for the express purpose of saying, I want to finance the kingdom of God in different areas, whether it's overseas or here at home. They went into business just to do that and believe that God blesses them for that. What other resources do we have? Well, we have opportunities. You ever think of opportunities as a resource? God's giving you opportunities sometimes. You know, I love hearing these stories about celebrities when they, they, have the oppor- they have an opportunity that's set before them. I heard one recently, Will Smith was talking about, he was at a party and there was this guy who was there. And he said, hey, th- th- there's this guy, he's the head of NBC. And, um, you know, I've got this script that I really want you, that I think you'd be perfect for. And right here at this party, if you'll just act out the script, you'll have an opportunity to, you know, impress him. And maybe we'll get a deal. And Will Smith was like, no, I'm not doing that. You know, I need time to prepare. I need time to, and the guy's like, this is the opportunity we have right here and now. We're not going to get another meeting with this guy. So they cleared out the furniture. They did the scene, and that's how he got the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Opportunities. God gives you opportunities every single day. Every single day, and they're a resource. They may be for great things. They may be for small things, but God gives you opportunities. Don't waste your opportunities. What other resources does God give us? He gives us the resource of people. I don't know if you've ever thought about people as a resource, but people are a resource that God has given you. Your friends, your family, maybe if you're a business owner, your employees. What do the good servants get commended for in this story? They got commended because they invested the money, right? They made good investments. And as that translates to people... And you think about investing, there, there are ways that you can make investments in people all of the time. One particular place that's a great place to make your investment, and you're pretty much going to whether you want to or not, but you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to this. It, there, there's no greater influence you're ever going to have in another person's life. No person you're ever going to influence to look more like you than you are being a parent. I want to camp here a little bit this morning because we took some time to dedicate some children to the lord so if you give me a little bit of grace this morning i want to camp here and i want to talk to parents for just a second and if you're not a parent in this room this morning that's all right maybe you will be someday or uh you know if you're not a parent just just give us some time here i want to talk to parents because i think it's important because so many of us are how can you make good investments like the guys who had the, the five talents and the two talents, they made good investments, and they doubled their investment. How can you make good investments in your children or in your kids? There's a few different ways. If you're taking notes, this is a great place to write some notes down this morning. Number one, I think you can do that by being intentional. If you're going to make good investments in your kids, be intentional. Proverbs 22:6. 6, I already read it in the dedication, but I'm going to repeat it because it's a good verse. Train up a child in the way he should go, he or she, and when they are old, or when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. This verse says it all. You should train your children. I don't know if you've ever trained for anything in your life, but I've, uh, I've trained for road races before in my life, and I remember one particular half marathon that there was a bunch of youth pastors in South Dakota, which is where I was living at the time, and we got together and decided, hey, let's do a half marathon. And so I started my training probably about three or four months prior and, uh, you know, you start small and then every week it kind of grows and grows and grows and grows and grows until you get to the race. Until you get to like a couple weeks before where you're running pretty much the distance that you're going to be running for the race. You're running like 13 miles or maybe 11 or 10, 10 miles on your long runs. Um, and so we had, a, we, we'd encouraged our youth because it was a fundraiser for Speed the Light. So we encouraged our youth to run with us. And I had a group of about three kids. And initially they were really excited. They started their training. I gave them the whole training plan and they started off doing it. And then... Um, I hadn't heard from them for a long time on this, on this race, and I hadn't really followed up with them. I just you know, assumed that they fall, fell off the wagon and they weren't doing it. Well, we, the town, I was living in Sioux Falls, which is about an hour from where the race was in my hometown of Brookings, and so we had uh, gone down that day to go to the race, and all of a sudden, these three youth just show up out of nowhere. I was like, guys, that's awesome. You're doing the race? I was like, I didn't even know you guys were training, and they were like, well, we, we, we aren't. We didn't. I was like, you're gonna run 13 miles and you haven't done any training and they're like yeah yeah i'll be fine be fine be fine no problem no problem, no problem. and uh, they came in dead last all three of them and they were dog tired and they were like you know and these guys are like 16 years old so they don't really have an excuse but they were dragging in and the first thing they were saying was i'm gonna go get some cold stone i'm getting cold stone ice cream today that's it i'm just doing it they were they were dead because they hadn't trained They hadn't been intentional about training for their race. They just showed up and thought it was going to happen. But I think we so many times as parents, there's so many things in our life. And parenting is one of those places where we don't be intentional and we don't train our kids. We just kind of let things happen and we kind of work on our defaults. And a lot of us were, were raised in homes where those defaults were not such good things. But those are the things that we go back to because that's what we know and we have the same patterns that happen generation after generation after generation but if you're going to be a good if you're going to make good investments in your kids train your children be intentional about raising your kids read books there's a great book called "Loving Your Kids." There's a wealth of Christian books out there on parenting, a wealth of them, and I'm sure there's a lot of great ones. One of my favorite is "Loving Your Kids," "Loving Our Kids on Purpose" by Danny Silk is an excellent book. We teach it in this um, church from time to time. It's just excellent. Um, another one, kind of like it, called "Parenting with Love and Logic." But you can get on Right Now Media. For those of you that aren't on Right Now Media. Um, We pay a lot of money so that you guys can access Right Now Media, and it's like a Netflix for Christian Bible study. I mean, there's just hours and hours and hours of teaching and discipleship on every kind of subject you can imagine. You can get it on your Roku device, and uh, like we have a channel on a Roku, and it just opens up, and there's tons of them. If you don't have Right Now Media, get get on Right Now Media. See Pastor Bryce or myself. Give us your email, and we'll get you hooked up with that. But you go on there, and there's a bunch of parenting stuff that's just excellent. Go on and watch it. Be intentional about training your kids, don't just pinball through your parenting years, be intentional second way you can make good investments in your kids is by living out your priorities put your kids in the right spot, not physically in the house but put your kids in the right spot in your home as it comes to priorities, your kids should never ever, hear me parents never ever ever should they come between your relationship with God or your relationship with your spouse those are more important than your kids and in this day and age, it's almost hard to hear someone say that, but it's true. Your kids should never, ever, ever be the center of your home. Because what happens is when we make the kids the center of our home, we make an idol out of them. We put them before God, and all of a sudden, our lives start to become, um, you know, our, our household and our lives all start to swirl around what they need and what they want, and we start to sk- uh, put our schedules in, and all of our, uh, everything in the house has to has to conform to their security. Uh, sorry. Conform to their wants and their desires and their wishes and their needs and their activities that they have and that's not good for anybody when you make a god out of your kids then they start to act like god and that's not good for anybody what you're what you're doing as a parent is those kids don't belong to you remember the stewardship principle they're not yours they're gods and god wants you to train them to be fully uh, fully fully independent disciples of jesus christ that's what he wants And when you start to take a kid and you put them in a home and you make them the idol, guess what? You enable them. And I don't see a, I don't see a, I see enabling happening so much. I have so many conversations with so many parents where they've enabled children. And when you enable kids throughout their high school career, guess what happens? They stay with you when they're 20. They stay with you when they're 30. They never leave the house. They become enabled. And all of a sudden you get this idea that love is giving them whatever they need or whatever they want. That's not love. Love is looking at the big picture and saying, I'm gonna do some things that are gonna hurt you that you don't like in the short term so that I can see you succeed long term. That's love. That's love. Put them in the priority spot. Build relationships with your kids. That's this is the third one. Build relationships with your kids. Pastor Barry says it all the time: rules without relationship equals rebellion. If you want to if you want your kids, if you want to have influence in their lives, then you need to have influence. You need to do it through relationship. Spend time getting to know your kids. Um, I'm going to pick on Corey Keller here. Corey, where are you? Corey, um, Corey plays Xbox. Corey is not a guy who likes to play Xbox. Corey plays Xbox because he wants to get to know his boys, and I applaud him for that. I applaud him for that. Maybe you don't really love what your kids are into. I play Polly Pockets. I do not like Polly Pockets. <laughs> But I I play Polly Pockets because I want to have a relationship with my daughter. And so you do those things. You build relationships with your kids. You know, if you want them to, you'll find that your discipline goes much smoother and your kids will listen to you when you gain influence by relationship in their life. Um, There's a great book that talks about this a little bit and maybe we've mentioned it before, but it's called The Five Love Languages for Kids. And it talks about the five love languages, the ways that your kids receive love. And, um, you know, with my kids, I've learned that now, there's a, nasty, there's a nasty rumor going around that if you say your kids' names as a pastor, in a sermon, you owe them 20 bucks. So I have to get creative here this morning. Um, my, uh, my middle child, uh, my middle son, whose uh, names, name rhymes with Cizia, um <laughs> He is one, one of the five love languages is, is uh, physical touch. And so he is a toucher. He likes to touch. He likes to hug. He likes to wrestle. We were in Florida one time at Disney World, and it was one of the, it was August, which is a horrible time to go to Florida and go to Disney World, by the way. If you cannot, if you can avoid it, please do. But we were in line for a ride, and it's you know one of those muggy. If you've ever been to Florida, it's a muggy, 100% humidity days, 98 degrees, and we were in a line, and there was no fans, and it was just, I mean, we we're all about ready to pass out, literally. And he's like, he's like, ah, just hugging everybody, and, ah, ah, you and just sweat all over, and we're like, I get. Up. But that's who he is. He loves physical touch. And so sometimes I'll take time with him, and I just put my hand on him. Just physical touch, you know, just getting to know him, speaking their language. Um, my daughter, who I'll say her name because she's not here, so she doesn't know, so don't say anything. Um, <laughs> my daughter, Ellie, she's a quality time. She's a quality time person. So for her, it's, Dad, come just come watch a show with me. Like, I'd just watch a show? That's it? Yeah, just Sit next to me and watch the show. That's all I need. That's all I need you to do. Just quality time. So get to know your kids. Get to know who they are because they're all different. They're all different. You can give your kids the greatest understanding of the Bible and the greatest tools to know God, but they they're not going to listen to you unless you do the fourth thing, and that's be an example. Be an example. And I mentioned that when I talked about uh, dedication this morning. Be an example to your kids because you can say you can have the greatest exposition on the Bible. You can say all the right things. But at the end of the day, if you're not walking that out, they're not going to care. They can spot a hypocrite from a mile away. They know. So be an example. That is the best thing you can do. You live out Jesus in front of them. I don't care if you ever sit down and have a family devotion time. If you'll live out Jesus in front of them, they will become disciples of Jesus Christ because they watch you. It's a powerful tool. That's why God has given us this family structure. I'm convinced of it. That's how disciples are made, by watching. Some of the greatest discipleship that's ever taken place in my life is by watching Pastor Barry in his home, back when I was a youth. Watching staff pastors in their homes. Some of the greatest discipleship. Things I ever learned was how they interacted with people and how they showed Jesus through the way that they acted. Be an example. One of the, one of the and please don't, don't, don't get me wrong, because we're not perfect parents, but, and we make tons of mistakes, but um, our, uh, our oldest son, um, who's the last book of the, last book of the uh, Old Testament, rhymes with Shmalachi. Um, <laughs> he was, uh, we had heard this story from one of the parents that went to a homecoming dinner that didn't have homecoming this year because of COVID, but a bunch of friends got dressed up and they went and took pictures and they went to country club, they had dinner. And um, we got this, this story back from one of the parents who he said, hey, your son, uh, I want to thank you for your son because before everybody ate, he stopped them as they were about ready to eat and he said, hey guys, let's pray for a meal. Why did he do that? I think the reason that he did that is because that's something we always do in our household. We always take time to just break, and I'll be honest, sometimes it feels more religious, and I don't love that, but we just break, and we give God thanks for our food. That's just a habit that we got in. Something that he saw, an example that he saw, and he did it with his friends, which I thought was pretty cool, so I probably would owe him 20 bucks for that, just for saying that. Um, (laughs) So, what do we know about this parable? We know that Jesus has given us a job to do, right? We talked about that. He's given us resources to accomplishment. We know that he's coming back and we're going to be accountable for what we did or didn't do with what he gave us to use. Do you know what the servant who, the, who got one parable, do you know what his sin was? Verse 26 tells us. I never had saw this before in this, in this parable. I mean, I saw it, but I hadn't really zeroed in on it. You know what his sin was? It tells us right there in verse 26. It says he was lazy. says, you wicked and lazy servant. In verses 16 and 17, if you go back in the parable, we see that the servant with five talents and the servant with two talents, or it said the servant with five talents went out at once, went out at once. Didn't waste any time, didn't wait till later, but went out at once and went to work making that money work for him. And it said, likewise, the second one did the same. So the second one did the same thing, didn't wait, but went out at once and made that money work for him. We don't exactly know what the wicked servant's motivation was in bearing the money. Now he claims at the end, he says it's out of fear, but I think it's kind of interesting because as you look at the way the master responds to him, I feel like the master is calling him out on his I, I don't think that was true. I think the master was calling him out, and this is kind of just my opinion on, on the on the verse as I look at it, but I think the master call, we know he calls him out for being lazy, so the 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 idea that he was doing it out of fear, I think the master was saying, no, you weren't doing it out of fear. You were lazy. You're a wicked and lazy servant. I don't know. Maybe he thought this, this guy who had the one talent, maybe he thought he had more time until his master returned. I mean, that is the whole premise of all of these, these parables is that people like the 10 virgins, they thought they had more time, but they didn't because Jesus returned when they didn't expect him. So maybe he thought he had more time until the master returned. The parable says the master had been gone for a long time. How I many you know Jesus has been gone for a long time? it's been 2,000 years a lot of people have thought they were going to see his return and haven't yet seen it that doesn't mean he's not coming back he's waiting there are Christians out there who have gotten lazy I believe in their callings because they think they have plenty of time to just live their lives I think they have lots of time I got lots of time, I got all the time in the world well, there's two things that could happen number one, Jesus could come back at any time no prophecy needs to be fulfilled nothing needs to happen biblically he can come back any time And then number two, you don't know how long you have. You could walk out of this building today and you could be gone. You could get hit by a car on your way home. That's a great thought, Pastor Jared. Thanks for leaving us with that. (laughs) It's true. Jesus is coming back, guys. And on that day, it will not matter how much money is in your 401k. It won't matter how many followers you have on social media. It won't matter how many trophy antlers you have hanging on your walls. It won't matter how many square feet are in your house. It won't matter if you're Varsity, JV, or state It won't matter what brand of car you're driving. It won't matter how many people know your name. The only thing that will matter on the day that Jesus comes back will be, did you accept him, and what did you do with what he gave you to use? That's all that's going to matter. That's it. So don't get lazy in your calling. Look with that perspective, and look with those eyes, because that's what's the most important. Maybe the servant wasn't just—maybe it wasn't about uh, the fact that he thought he had more time. Maybe, uh, maybe he meant to do more with the money, but he got distracted. Maybe it wasn't just that he just neglected it. Maybe I don't—maybe he got distracted. I don't know. Don't allow yourself to get distracted. We live in a nation that's easy to get distracted in. We got lots of extra time. We have so much entertainment at our fingertips—it's ridiculous. I mean, there's a new streaming channel, I think, that comes out every single week, it seems like, you know, just to be able to do it, just so that you can be entertained. And not that entertainment's a bad thing. I'm fine with entertainment. I have no issues with most of it. Just don't want you to get distracted because there's so many things that we can get distracted doing. It's really easy to get caught up in things. It's easy to get caught up in the political scene. Don't do it. Don't do it. Jesus didn't call us to have the right political opinions. You've been called to the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God... The kingdom of God is, it's not a democracy, it's a theocracy. The kingdom of God, the, way, the, the let me say it this way, the way the kingdom of God influences is not by votes, because here's the thing, and I've talked about this a million times, you can get the right people in the right offices voting the right way, but then the next term you get the wrong people in the wrong offices voting the wrong way, and what happens it goes right back to the way it was. We've seen it happen a million times. The way that God has prescribed us to change the United States of America is for us to witness to one person at a time. When you reach out to the young girl who's thinking about getting an abortion because she's scared and doesn't know what else to do, but you give her hope in Jesus Christ and tell her that that baby has a plan, a future, and you show her, then things are going to change then abortion is gonna change. It isn't gonna happen in Washington. It's not gonna happen up on Capitol Hill. It's gonna happen when the people of God get crazy for Jesus and they start reaching people the way we were meant to do. Amen? That's how it happens. So don't get distracted by political things. Don't get distracted by the stuff of this world because, guys, there's so much in this world to get distracted by. And I've seen a lot of Christians, the reason I mention politics, I've seen so many Christians just get crazy about politics lately and it's distracted them. I don't find do politics. I don't care, but don't get distracted by it, and don't put your hopes in it. For crying out loud, don't put your hopes in a bunch of suits in Washington. They can't even balance a budget. How are they going to change your life? You know, it ain't going to happen. Don't allow yourself to get lazy or distracted, church. This this we call this parables of perseverance. And the idea here is that you need to persevere in the uh, in in your calling, essentially. You need to persevere in your calling. That's the whole idea of this entire thing. But how do you do that? How do you persevere in your calling when there's all these other things around you that are trying to get you to do other things and you live in this world where you see the physical and you interact with the physical and you're getting bombarded day in and day out by ideals that don't match the word of God? How do you persevere in that? Here's how you persevere in that. You live for the next world and that keeps your focus in this world. Live for the next world, it keeps your focus in this world. When you keep your focus on heaven, if the, the, if the man with the one talent would have kept his focus on the fact that his master's gonna return, he would have done some different things with that talent, I'm pretty sure. The five and the two, they kept their eyes on the fact that the master's gonna return and they lived their life in such a way. So when you go out and you make decisions on a day-to-day basis, make those decisions through the lens of the fact that you are going into an eternity or eternity is coming to you. If you make your decisions based on that, you will have no problem living out your calling. I guarantee it. You'll probably want to sell all your possessions and go live on the mission field if you start really thinking that way and let that get into your heart. Your priorities shift and everything becomes completely different when you think that way. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I love you so much. I thank you, God, for this word. I thank you, God, that you have given us resources and you've given us a calling and you have given us these, these incredible people that you've placed around us to invest in. I pray that you'd help us to be people who take those things seriously. God, I pray that you'd help us to keep our hearts and our minds focused on the eternal because, God, that's going to keep our focus in the temporal Lord Jesus, you are awesome, and we thank you, God, for your return. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us all as good disciples not get, not, not get lost and not take a, a hiatus from reality because we're waiting for eternity, but, God, let that drive our here and now. Let it be our motivating factor. Father, we glorify you, and we give you praise this morning. And God, help us to go out from this place and live like you're coming tomorrow. We thank you, and we give you praise, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said Amen. 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 Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.